The gospel that we've just heard read is not the usual gospel read at a penance service. We read it this evening because today is the solemnity of the Annunciation of the Lord. And the irony is not lost on me that the central figure in this gospel reading is the one human person throughout history who never needed to go to confession. I'm speaking, of course, of Mary, who was not only conceived without original sin, but who remained sinless throughout her entire life. In fact, any exposition about the Catholic doctrine of Mary's sinlessness uh, that you'll encounter, this is the gospel passage that they point to, specifically the angel Gabriel's greeting, Hail, full of grace. Full of grace is uh, an English translation of the Greek word keikeritomine, which is a unique Greek word in that it means one whose complete existence has been perfectly transformed by God's grace. And that's a bit of a mouthful, so we just say full of grace. But, but what the word keikeritomine means is that Mary for the entirety of her existence, from the moment of her conception until she was assumed into heaven at the end of her life, was without sin, was in union with God, cooperating with his grace fully. So what then can Mary teach us about confession? She who never had to feel sorrow for her sins, she who never succumbed to vice, She who never had to repent, who never transgressed against God's will. What can this solemnity of the Annunciation today teach us about the sacrament of reconciliation? Everything. Everything. The Annunciation has everything to do with reconciliation because the whole reason that God became man was so that man might be reconciled to God. And that's the purpose of this sacrament that we gather here to celebrate this evening. I think all too often we make the mistake of focusing on the beginning parts of the sacrament of reconciliation, right? And that keeps uh, most of us from going as often as we should because the beginning parts of the sacrament aren't a lot of fun, right? If we don't have the end or the purpose of the sacrament in mind, we can feel that all that effort just really isn't worth it, right? And what are those beginning parts? Well, first we have to make a good examination of conscience. And if we do that honestly, if we do that sincerely, that can be an uncomfortable experience, right? As we examine our lives, we, we discover actions and thoughts and desires that are not in accord with God's will. We have to admit to ourselves that we're not always right. We have to admit to ourselves that we're capable of doing evil, grave evil even. We have to admit to ourselves that we're often driven by selfishness, and pride. And we don't like to admit our faults, not even to ourselves. But admitting them to ourselves, that's not enough. We have to admit them to God. We have to own up to them. I think of Adam and Eve, our first parents, hiding in the garden after they ate the forbidden fruit. And God comes into the garden and he asks where they are. 
Where are you? Right? Now, God knows exactly where they are, and God knows exactly what they did, but what he's doing is he's giving them the opportunity to own up to their actions. Adam and Eve know that they've done wrong. That's why they're hiding. They're just afraid to admit it to God. We don't want to make that same mistake, do we? So the next step in confession, once we've realized that we've done wrong, is to confess those sins to the priest, to own up to them, to admit them out loud. And we have to be specific. We have to call those sins by name. Right? And if it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves about the, our sins in the privacy of our own hearts, I realize it's even harder to say them out loud. But that's an essential part of the sacrament to admit our culpability and to ask God for his mercy. And then we're assigned a penance, right? Some task that we have to do, usually a prayer, given to us as a a way to demonstrate the sincerity of our repentance. And once we've completed that penance, that's when we reach the end of the sacrament, which is to reconcile us to God and restore us to a state of grace. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what we need to be focused on as we prepare to celebrate that sacrament this evening. Grace, that union with God to which we are being restored. That life of God dwelling within us, bearing the spiritual fruits of joy and peace. You know, we can get so hung up on on the sins that we're repenting from that we forget the whole purpose of repentance is to turn away from those things, right? To put them behind us. You know, they should be in our rearview mirror now. And once we turn away from those sins, they should no longer be our focus. What should our focus be? Mary shows us. Mary shows us because her whole life was focused on one thing, loving God and trusting in his will for her life. So repentance is not about what we turn from. It's about who we turn toward. We turn toward God and that life of grace that he offers us. Now Mary never lost that, and so she is our model. What she has, what she has in its fullness, that's what we want. That should be our goal, right? Now, you see, unlike Mary, none of us were born into that life. We weren't born into a life of grace. And that's why you and I had to be born again, didn't we? Are you a born-again Christian? I better see some heads nodding in here, right? We had to be born again in our baptism. We were united with Christ's death and his resurrection. So baptism is our participation in the Paschal mystery. It's taking this grace that God bestowed on us in his son, and it's saying, I want a part of that. I want to be a part of that life, right? So by baptism, we're incorporated into his body, the body of God's son. And so we become, by adoption, sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Christ. Like St. Paul said to Timothy, if we die with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure with him, we will reign with him. We will reign with him. This is our inheritance, to reign with Christ in heaven. Now, when we pray the rosary, what's the very last mystery that we meditate on in the rosary? It's the coronation, right? The coronation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And the reason why that mystery is there at the end 
is because it shows us what everything else before it was there for. If we just ended our rosary with Christ's ascension or with the descent of the Holy Spirit, the story would be incomplete. Now today we celebrate the Annunciation, which is the first mystery of the rosary. This is where the story begins today. And this isn't a fairy story that begins once upon a time. This is a real story that begins in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. The story begins with the annunciation of Gabriel to Mary, but it doesn't end until Mary's son puts a crown on her head. And she wears that crown for all of us. That's our birthright. Not of our natural birth, but our spiritual rebirth that washed us clean of sin, that filled that gaping hole in our nature that was left by the fall of Adam with the only thing that could ever fill it, with what was always meant to be there in the first place. That's God's divine life. That's what we mean when we say sanctifying grace. This is why the word became flesh and dwelt among us, to heal that wound that was left by the fall, right? to restore us to this dignity that God has always had in mind for us from the beginning, that purpose for which we were created. Right? God became man, the word became flesh, so that man might become like God. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be like God, to become divinized, And that's what we screw up when we sin. Sin is so foolish. And I'm just as big a fool as anybody in here, right? I do it. We all do it. We screw up our relationship with God for stupid, selfish reasons. I don't want to do the will of God. And that's a dumb attitude for me to have. It is. Because what does God will for me? He wills my salvation. He wills my perfect happiness in heaven. And more than that, he he wills for me to wear a crown in heaven like the one that he gave to his blessed mother. Why would I turn that down? Why would I turn that down? But I do it all the time, right? I'm an idiot. Don't be like me. Don't be like me. Be like Mary. Be like our blessed mother. She never did anything to sully the crown that her son won for her. Because every time she had a choice between her will and God's, she chose God's will for her life. Every time. Look at our gospel reading. An angel appears to Mary and tells her something that seems impossible. You, a virgin, will conceive and bear a son. Mary just has one question. How can this be? Since I have no relations with a man, meaning, nor do I intend to have any relations with a man. Mary wasn't ignorant. She knows how babies are made. But she had taken a vow before God to remain a virgin, and she knew that God would never ask her to break that solemn vow. But she trusted God completely in this moment. She doesn't say no. She just asks how. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And what was Mary's answer? 
I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. May it be done to me according to your word. Whatever you want, Lord, that's what I want too. Mary's will was perfectly aligned with God's. She embodied what St. Augustine meant when he said, love God and then do what you will. Because if you truly love God, then you'll only want what God wants. Every time we sin, we say to God, I want something different. I want something different than your will for me. Every time we sin, we say to God, may it be done unto me according to my word. And we don't want that. We think we do, but we don't. We don't really want want it to be done to us according to our word. That's the way of our first parents who thought that they knew better than God. God said, don't eat the fruit of this tree or you will surely die. And Adam and Eve said, well, this snake here makes a convincing argument otherwise and this fruit looks a little tasty, you know, so I appreciate everything you've done for us, Lord, but I I think I know better than you what's good for me, right? So I'm just going to do things my way. And you know what? They did. They did. And their way led to death. What we celebrate here today on the solemnity of the Annunciation is the undoing of that death. It's the undoing of the fall of man and our restoration to grace. Adam fell by doing his own will, but Christ, the new Adam, comes to do God's will, as we read in the letter to the Hebrews. Behold, I come to do your will, O God. The first Adam was led into sin by Eve, who trusted the serpent more than she trusted God. But Christ, the new Adam, enters into the world through the consent of Mary, the new Eve, who says to God, Be it done unto me according to your word. Eve's disobedience is undone by Mary's obedience, just as Adam's death is undone by Christ's resurrection. In giving her assent to God, her fiat, Mary is an icon of the church. She gives that fiat on behalf of all humanity because Christ takes his human nature from her in this moment. And it's the same human nature that he bears into heaven. This is how God works. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. He wants to draw us to himself. But because he loves us, he won't do that against our will. If we want God's word to dwell within us, we have to let him in. We have to say yes to his invitation. If we want his grace to bear fruit in our lives, we have to cooperate with it. The sins of our past life, the sins that you bring here to the sacrament of penance tonight... Those are the moments in our lives when we've not done that. Those are the moments when we followed our first parents and said to God, I know better than you. I trust the serpent more than you. But tonight, brothers and sisters, we have a blessed and wonderful opportunity. We have an opportunity to once again unite our will with God's and to say with Mary, Be it done unto me according to your word. What does God will for us? 
What God wills for each one of us tonight is mercy. It's forgiveness. It's reconciliation. It's restoration. It's to share his life with us. He longs to dwell in your heart the way that he once dwelt within his mother's womb. As members of Christ's body, Mary is our mother too. She is the mother of the church. So let's ask her for her loving intercession that each one of us here may make a good confession, turn away from our sins, focus our lives on God, and seek to align our will ever more perfectly with the merciful will of the Father. As we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.